Welcome back to Superhero Cinema, the show about superheroes on TV, in the movies, and in comic books. I'm Michael. I'm Jefferson. And I'm Jonathan. And this is issue number 13 for the first half of July 2007. We've been gone for a while. Uh, we didn't put out a show for about five weeks. Um, we recorded two shows, and I've gotten one of them out, and hopefully the second one will be out uh, pretty soon. You're, by the time you're hearing this, the second show obviously will be out. Um, we're hopefully going to get caught up pretty quickly. Uh, we're going to switch to an every-other-week schedule. A big part of that is the amount of time it takes me to edit it. It, it only takes us about an hour to record the show, but it takes me about three hours to edit it, and it's just been finding time to do that. So so to kind of take the burden off of that a little bit, we're going to move to an every other week schedule, and uh, hopefully that'll get them out on a more regular basis rather than this kind of hit or miss that we've been on. Uh, I hope we didn't lose too many listeners in the meantime, but obviously if you're listening to this, we didn't lose you, so uh, let's get going right off the bat with uh, this week's news. Let's talk news. You can always get additional info and links to these stories on our website, SuperheroCinema.com. The front page of the site will always keep you updated on the latest info about superhero movies and TV shows from all over the web. So first off, we had the release of Transformers. Uh, obviously, everyone knows that based on the huge amount of advertising that didn't actually happen right off the bat. It took a long time for them to really start ramping up the advertising on that. But when they did, it was really a barrage of advertising. It was. They had all sorts of stuff going on there, all sorts of commercials and tie-ins, and everywhere you looked, it was Transformers, practically. So they did really well, um, as you would expect for, for this big a film and doing it over the 4th of July weekend for the seven-day total uh, from last Wednesday to today. It was – or actually, I guess it would be from last Monday night through today. It was $155.4 million. Uh, which is pretty good. Um, the big thing is that it broke all the records for a non-sequel, <laughs> which is interesting. So they're not even trying to compare it to a Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, the Star Wars films, anything like that. They didn't want that comparison. Uh, it broke records for a non-sequel film. It was the best, best 4th of July opening. Uh, the, all of these are for a non-sequel. Best 4th of July opening, best July opening weekend, the top daily gross in July, and the top Wednesday and Thursday individual grosses for any film in July for a non-sequel. Um, separate from the non-sequel, it was the best live-action debut for Paramount in its history. Wow. Well, go Transformers. <laughs> they did pretty well. Yeah, I mean, they, even if it, though it's a non-sequel, I mean, it's definitely got brand recognition. I mean, yeah. it's been around, you know, since the 80s. And so everybody who's anybody, yeah. you know, of age now knows what the Transformers is. So even though it's not a sequel, I guess since you're not counting the animated movie, then it's still, yeah, you know. It, it's, it's, exactly. It still had a lot of good. the uh, advantages that a sequel has in terms of people exactly. already being familiar with it. Yeah, it was a pre-sold property. Mm -hmm, exactly. Exactly. Which is why we all went to go see it. Well, and as we uh, talked about a couple weeks ago for the G.I. Joe movie as a possibility based on you know, how well Transformers do, I say the possibilities are pretty good for a G.I. Joe movie. Yeah, and actually, Jonathan, I went in spite of, of the the pre-soldness of, of Transformers. As I've said before on the show, I uh, had no investment in Transformers previously. I never watched the cartoon. I never played with the toys. I went to see this movie strictly on the basis of what I saw in the trailers. That was what sold me on it. The uh, the effects and the action that I saw in the trailers is what made me want to go see the movie. So if the trailer was bad, you wouldn't have gone to go see probably it? Probably not. Yeah, that's wow. probably true. Because as I said, I had I, I don't care about Transformers particularly. So I had no other reason to go other than the fact that it, in its own right, regardless of what it was based on, it looked like an exciting summer action movie. So since we all did go and see it, what did you think about it? Well, I thought it was, it was about as good as a movie about toys could possibly be. 
given that it's based on a line <laughs> of toys, um, which, I mean, there's not much inherent story there necessarily. I thought it, given its source material, I thought it was very well done. Um, I don't think it was the best science fiction movie I've ever seen or even close to the best science fiction movie I've ever seen. But for what it was for a, a big summer blockbuster based on toys from the 80s, I thought it was it was quite good. I really enjoyed watching it, actually. I thought it was really good, too. I mean, you know, being a person who did grow up on the show, my formative years there, you know, I was always kind of watching out for, you know, the characters that I would recognize and the the personalities of the Autobots and Decepticons and seeing what sort of, you know, Easter eggs they would sneak in there, whether it was lines or things that, uh, you know, they would do. And there were quite a few for for us. You know, they got the more than meets the eye line in there that uh, Shia said and, um, they had, you know, Optimus Prime, you know, uh, had a quote from the, the animated movie in there about, you know, one shall stand, one shall fall when he was battling, battling Megatron. And, uh, yeah, I mean, even though I wasn't completely down with this concept of the all spark and everybody's trying to get it, I mean, whatever, whatever it takes, you know, whatever Michael Bay wants to, to put in the plot, to make Autobots fight Decepticons. That's what really matters. And it's it's a pretty common and straightforward and much used plot device. You know, it's it's the the Death Star plans or the Lost Ark. It's the whatever thing that all the characters want that gives them an excuse to interact with each other. Exactly. And interact they did. You know, I mean, I I thought that the the action sequences were very cool. The only thing that kind of bothered me a little bit was when. You know, when the Autobot Decepticons were fighting, sometimes it was tough to just understand what was going on because you couldn't really tell who just did what. I'm like, okay, they're fighting, they're rolling around. But I mean, but overall, I mean, even like, you know, some of the slow motion scenes where, you know, they're flipping in midair and shooting and dodging humans. It uh, it was fun. You know, I got to gotta give it props for being a fun movie. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Michael? Uh, you guys covered most of it i mean that's that what you covered my biggest complaint was just the the quick cutting in the action sequences it, it was really hard to distinguish one one robot from another you know to know who i'm supposed to be rooting for um i still i i you know i I was pleasantly surprised because obviously I talked about my biggest concern about the film was that there weren't going to be any actual characterizations for the for the robots, that the robots were not going to be actual characters in the film. And they were, but it's so brief, like it takes you you know, like an hour and a half to get to that point. And then when it does, it's only for about a half an hour that you're actually getting any personalities out of them. But they were actual characters. They weren't just monsters to the humans. I still think the film was way too much about the humans. I mean, what what I was worried about was still the case. I, you know, my my fears were somewhat justified, but not as much as I was afraid. The performances of the humans, for the most part, were fairly good. Uh, John Turturro was way over the top. He was like a character from a whole other movie. Um, <laughs> and he was the guy who played the director of Sector Seven, right? Um, not the right. director of it, but the guy who showed up as the main representative of it. Um, he he was the goofy guy from Sector Seven. The guy who played the head of Sector Seven, he I really liked. Um, that's I don't remember the actor's name, but uh, he was on the West Wing and played the head of the Secret Service in that. I think that was really the first time he is a smaller character actor distinguished himself and really got noticed and i'm sure that's probably what got him this part and i've always liked him and i'd like to see more of him i thought he was he was he was really good the guy playing it straight as the head of sector seven you know he he brought a lot to that role he had some humorous lines in there that that he delivered in such a way that you know another actor playing it as a nothing role wouldn't have brought to it 
And I thought that that was good. And it was a complete 180 from John Turturro, who I just thought every single line he was given, he hammed it up and made it goofier than it needed to be. And he, it, like I said, the best thing is it was like, or the most thing is that it was like he was in another film. But uh, all the Autobots were good. All you know, the Decepticons, whatever we got of them, personality-wise, were were fairly good. Um, yeah, I was kind of disappointed that uh, Starscream and Megatron didn't have more personality conflicts. You know, yeah. I mean, the only the only thing was like almost a throwaway line about like how one Megatron line, yeah. was disappointed in Starscream. You failed again. me again. Yeah, <laughs> you failed me again. <laughs> that was a good moment. It was it was it was a good you know shout out to the fans moment. And Shia LaBeouf, he was he was good. I mean, you know, he continues his march to megastardom. Unbelievably, yeah. I was going to mention him. I thought he was quite good. I was yeah, I thought he was really you know. good. But he's he's definitely an unlikely action hero. Um, the the girl was unbearably hot. Yeah. Uh, when I heard that that uh, what, what's the actor's name who played the kid? Uh, oh, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, LaBeouf he's something. when I originally had heard that he would he's uh, going to be in the next uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, he'll be playing so. Indiana Jones' son. Yeah. When I heard that initially, I went, "Oh God, it's another Indiana Jones and the kids thing, like the the second Indiana Jones movie." But after seeing Transformers, I'm I'm more uh, more optimistic about about Indiana Jones because I, I thought he was pretty good, and I think he'll do, I think he'll do well given the right direction and the right material. Yeah, he's got a good presence in movies. He's not just going to be, you know, thrown in on right. the side there. Right, yeah. which it would be so easy to just read the lines in a movie like Transformers and not not do anything with it or do something silly with it like Tachiro did. Yeah, I got to admit that I thought that one of the best scenes was uh, when they're all there, all the Autobots are there at his house, and they're trying to hide from his parents, and they're all mm-hmm. crouching around and saying, go ahead and get the glasses, you know, where are they? And uh, I just thought it was really, really good amusing moment there. I thought that was that funny. That was fun. That was and one of I my thought that was also too. a little bit over the top. I thought that you know it, they they did actually have the robots be be characters, but they had to be comic relief at that point. And I didn't know that necessarily that was the best use of them either. But but it was something. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, interesting. It, needed, it had comic relief and it had a little bit of plot, but it had good action. So yeah, a little bit of everything there. It's interesting hearing you guys talk about all the nods to the fans because obviously I didn't catch any of those. Yeah. No, there was not, quite a few of them. Fan. Yeah, and and you know I don't I can't recall anything like that that I found distracting. So any nods that they did put in there, they they did them well. You know, the best best ref, fan reference like that is one that doesn't confuse somebody who doesn't get it. And I don't re, I don't recall being confused by anything in the movie. So uh, so all those little nods didn't didn't detract from the film for somebody who's not a fan. I mean, I, overall, I, I, I was I was happier with it than I expected it to be. I mean, I was much more prepared to be disappointed. And I think that that helped. I mean, I thought going in expecting to hate it and having and not hating it, I was pleasantly surprised. So I liked it a lot more than I expected to. Um, I'm still a little annoyed at, at at the choice of not using the real voice of Megatron, just because they they bowed they they only did it because the fans demanded it of doing the voice of Optimus be the original actor Peter Cullen, um, not using Frank Welker as the voice of Megatron. They didn't even make an attempt to. They went ahead and and uh, cast Hugo Weaving, and I thought that Hugo Weaving tried to make it sound. Pretty much just like Frank Welker. So. Yeah, and he didn't. He didn't even really have that many lines in the yeah. movie. Anyway. Yeah, he had it so didn't... few lines in the movie, and there was nothing in it that made it distinctly Hugo Weaving or brought anything completely new or different to the role that that Frank Welker wouldn't have brought to it. You know, why not go with the what had to have been a much more inexpensive choice to to go with Frank Welker rather than Hugo Weaving? Right, and Hugo. I don't know if Hugo Weaving really commands any kind of real star power. I don't think that many people go to see a movie just because Hugo Weaving is in it. 
especially if he's, he's just doing a voice actor. So they didn't gain any benefit from using a name actor. And it did, yeah, it didn't seem to matter in the film at all, you know, with, with this few lines as he actually had. He doesn't even say anything until almost the end of the movie. But overall, positive. Um, so let's go with the, with the numerals. Uh, we'll, we'll have, what would you guys rate it on the uh, superhero cinema scale? Uh, the scale? Um, you know, I'd be tempted to see it again in the theater. So can I give it a one and a half movie tickets? I might see it again, or I might, <laughs> might see it at the, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Um, I won't buy the DVD, but I may rent it, or I may. I definitely watch it on TV. It's definitely surfworthy. <laughs> I I'm glad that I saw it in the theater. I mean, I appreciate the the big screen experience and the communal experience with seeing it with everybody else in the theater. I mean, it was it was crowded. It was hard find, finding you know two seats together to, to see it that day. So I'm glad that I saw it on the big screen. Definitely worthy of one ticket. And I'm I'm planning on buying the DVD when it comes out, so I'm going to give it a ticket and a DVD there. I don't know if I'd go see it in the movie theater again, just because I don't know if I would get anything new out of it. Yeah, I would say one movie ticket because, yeah, it should be seen in a big screen. It, the visuals are, are incredible. Um, and then one rental because I do think you should see it a second time or I want to see it a second time just to be able to pause on the action scenes to try to figure out who was who in the robot battles. But I don't, I don't need to own it to do that. I just need to watch it one more time on rental. So, so one, one movie ticket, one rental. We all know you're going to pause it on the hot chick. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did set it up pretty well for a sequel. I mean, at the end, you know, Optimus Prime be, is uh, calling other be, Autobots. Yeah. I will be amazed if there's not a sequel. That I thought was interesting as well, because I, that definitely felt to me like a scene that they shot after the fact that they, they, they look like the previous, the not the last scene, but the scene before the last scene, like at the climax. They it seemed like they were going to be leaving, and that seemed to be where that scene was going. That the Autobots was going to be taken off, and and that's why Bumblebee had to specifically ask to stay there with with the kid. Uh, but then the very next scene, they show that the kid's there on top of Bumblebee with the girl, and all the Autobots are around, and you've got Optimus' speech talking about how they're going to stick around. It seemed to me that they probably did test audiences, and the test audiences didn't like the fact that the Autobots left, and so they they quickly added this scene or, you know, not quickly with CGI, but, but we're able to do an additional scene or maybe take an existing scene and change it to add his voiceover to have it say that they're staying, which set up for the sequel and gave it a more positive ending. Hasty, yeah, right? Yeah, Bumblebee wasn't that persuasive since he wasn't trying to persuade the other Autobots to stay. So, um. so adding on to Transformers, uh, not a sequel, but a new animated series uh, has been announced for Cartoon Network for 2008. They're working on it right now. Um, most of the people working on it are from the Teen Titans team, uh, the people who did the Teen Titans show on Cartoon Network. Uh, it will be a new story. It, it uh, won't be tied to the original series or any of the subsequent series or the movie. So it'll be, you know, Total Fresh Start, which is, which is what they do most of the time in animated series anyway. Um, sometimes they do a follow-up to the movie, but it's loosely kind of tied. Some of the characters might be the same, but the characterizations might be a little bit different. Yeah, they did that for uh, kind of the post-movie Transformers. That's when they started a new generation using the characters from the movie and including them in that the next season of the Transformers series. Yeah, this will not be a continuation of the movie. Moving on to something other than Transformers, uh, to the other blockbuster for the year, uh, Spider-Man. Uh, Sam Raimi kind of confirmed in an interview that Sony is definitely going to do Spider-Man films. That's not coming as a big shock that Sony's going to want to do more Spider-Man films based on the uh, huge amounts of money that the film did. Um, he's not sure about what his participation might be, whether he'll direct it or not. Um, there is going to be a meeting of the producers of that film, the first time that they've really gotten together um, since the release of the film to actually discuss 
the plans for Spider-Man 4. They're going to be having that meeting in the next two weeks to kind of discuss you know, what their timetable is, what their plans might be. Sam Raimi will be part of that meeting, uh, so that might be when you know they'll kind of get closer to a decision on whether or not he'll be the director or not. Um, he is one of the producers as well, so he'll still be involved. And it's, I don't think it's the end of the world if Sam isn't the director for the next one. I mean, it's perfectly fine to bring other directorial styles to Spider-Man and superhero movies in general. You know, sometimes it benefits from having that fresh perspective and yeah, fresh attitude. They've, they've established the the flavor of the, the how Spider-Man is going to be in, in live action film well enough at this point that they could probably hand it over to a different director as long as they get somebody who's going to have the same respect for the material that Raimi had. I mean, that's why... Well, at least the first two. I mean, I had mixed feelings about the third one, but the first two, that's why I think it's a lot of what made them so good was that he clearly had a lot of respect for the material. And when superhero movies are bad, it's because of the opposite. It's because the director doesn't have respect for the material. The director thinks it's stupid, so he doesn't do a good job or does something silly. I point you to the two Joel Shoemaker-directed Batman films for proof of that. Um so yeah, I, I, I'd actually kind of like to see somebody else get a chance to do it, provided that they will do it with the same care and respect that Raimi has had for the character. And I definitely think that's possible. I mean, you know, there's lots of people, you know, who have good credentials for action movies, superhero movies, and I'm sure there's not, no uh, short line of people who'd be willing to do a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, I agree. I, I think a new eye, a new feel a new uh, sensibility to it would be a good thing. Um, but it, you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head. It should be someone who loves the material, who who is passionate about wanting to do a Spider-Man film, not passionate about wanting to get a big paycheck for a huge blockbuster that is going to write its own money, <laughs> print its own money, and further your career. That's, that's I think the producers the will probably uh, you know, make sure somebody will have those kind of credentials, you know? I don't know if you can necessarily make that guarantee, given 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 past experience. It's, it's not a given. Yeah, <laughs> we can cross our fingers and hope, but yes, but for every uh, Christopher Nolan, there's a Brett Ratner or a, a Joel Shoemaker. So, yeah, an X Men Three Wings there exactly. Yeah, exactly. So continuing with a similar concept there, films that have not actually been announced or uh, have no scripts or are not actually happening yet. Uh, an interview with Christian Bale, who's currently shooting The Dark Knight, the sequel to Batman Begins, he talked about the fact that th- there is definitely room for a third film, that he he would not be opposed to it, and that the script definitely leaves room for a follow-up. And uh, <laughs> what, what would you say to that, Jefferson? I'd like to see us focus on getting number two done first. I think uh, one film at a time, Christian. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, there's definitely enough, you know, we know a lot of the characters that are going into it who definitely have things that could happen to them down the line. Uh, hopefully they won't all try to happen in this film. So, so you know, hopefully you will have setups for future films. Well, yeah, how could you not? I mean, so based on material that's been going for, for 50, 60 years now, of course there's room for more films. There's room for an infinite number of of more films. And as part of that expanding that universe, uh, there have been casting announcements for Commissioner Gordon's wife and son. Um, the It's kind of interesting, two different uh, notices uh, casting-wise for The Dark Knight, one where the people aren't as important as the roles, and the other one where the person is kind of better known and we don't know what role they're playing. Uh, the actors for The Dark Knight for Commissioner Gordon's wife and son, I kind of looked them up on IMDb. They're mostly had done TV work up till now. And another one who is much more recognizable from... Uh, 
as a character actor from recognizable TV work. Uh, I'm going to try his last name here because I'd seen the actor's name for years but had never actually seen how to pronounce it or known how to pronounce it. I looked it up on his website. Uh, Keith Sarabaika. Um, he's been on uh, Angel. He was a big uh, part of that show for, for a whole year. Um, he's been guest shots on Babylon 5, uh, a lot of other sci-fi and TV shows. Um, he's going to be in The Dark Knight, uh, he announced on his website. He did not announce what role it would be, though. Moving on to uh, other stuff, uh, New Line has optioned Conan. Um, this has kind of been floating around for a long time. Several studios have, have had this in the works. Uh, for a long time, there was a script by John Milius, who did the original Conan film, who wrote the script and directed that film, um, where it would be taking it, continuing on to do the King Conan story, which had always been the logical progression because they'd made a big show in the previous Conan films of showing that he eventually becomes a king so it would have been that story well all of that's now been scrapped because none of those films ever happened none of those films came together um, they never got Schwarzenegger they, at one time it was very strongly considered that it would be The Rock that hasn't happened either New Line has now picked it up um, there was a big bidding war on it they, they, they tried to get uh, the owners of, of the Conan property tried to get several studios involved uh, but most of them walked away because they didn't want to spend the money because what they're what they wanted was $1 million for an 18-month uh, option with the possibility of one extension. And a lot of studios walked away from that, and New Line has actually picked it up. They went ahead and paid the million dollars, and so now they have the opportunity over the next 18 months to develop a script. Uh, they have to start fresh because they, they don't have access legally to any of the previous scripts or any of the stuff that have been worked on. So it will be a totally brand-new Conan property possibility um, with a brand-new script, brand-new directors, um, brand-new casting. May or may not happen in those 18 months. You know, Who knows? We'll find out. Uh, we'll keep a watch on it. I'd imagine they'll they'll at least make a a good run at it if they've paid that kind of money already just for the the license and uh, I'd like to see them still do the King Conan story. That's actually the very first published Conan story was was took place late in his life when he's he's the king, and uh, the the stories as they were originally published weren't they didn't they weren't written in the order of his life. They kind of jumped around. Yeah, as and far so, as I know, that's not a possibility within this option. Yeah, they'll well. I mean, they could still do it because uh, if they're if they're dealing with the uh, the people who own the rights to all the to the character and the stories, then they could adapt any of the stories. But more likely, they'll do uh, a new. They'll come up with a new story and they'll they'll do the more the content that everybody is familiar with already. I'll be curious to see you know if if this does actually happen, who they cast because other than Schwarzenegger and The Rock, I'm not sure who they could go with. Yeah, they they probably well. I mean, nobody really knew who Schwarzenegger was before Conan came out. That was his big I have arrived movie. So chances are they'll find somebody new that we haven't heard of before, hopefully, because that'll be the key thing with this is to cast cast somebody good to play Conan. Because if you don't get somebody who looks physically impressive and can carry a film, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a mess. You've got to, they've got to find another Schwarzenegger or another Dwayne Johnson to, to play the character. And I'm a huge Conan fan, so I'm, I've got my fingers crossed for this one. I hope they do a good job. I can't say I'm a big Conan fan. I, I enjoyed the Schwarzenegger films. I'd read a couple of the comic books back in the 70s and 80s when Roy Thomas had kind of reinvented the character and, and uh, had him going again. But I'm not a way back Conan fan or, or know extensively about the character and his background and his, and his history or anything. Do yourself a favor and pick up some of the original books by Robert Howard. They're great. Just good writing in general. 
And uh, other heroes news, uh, other casting we talked about on a previous show, which as of this uh, recording has not actually been put out yet. But by the time this show gets out, we, you will have heard it. Um, there's they were casting for a couple of new roles in heroes, uh, some new characters, and we went down a list of them. And uh, some of them were some cheerleaders, and one was an Irish mobster. And they've cast those roles. Uh, Diana Agron, who had a recurring role on Veronica Mars, is cast as one of the cheerleaders. And Dominic Keating, who uh, I believe was the uh, security person on uh, Star Trek Enterprise, uh, has been cast as the Irish mobster. Are you sure you don't have that backwards? I think I'd rather see Keating as the cheerleader and Diana Agron as the mobster. That'd be for more more entertaining casting. (laughs) I'm going to not dwell on that one. (laughs) Now, when I having read the, the casting notice on the on the Irish uh, mobster, the 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 uh, I don't know if he's a mobster or a gang member kind of thing, but having read that casting notice and then seeing Dominic Keating, having seen a couple episodes of Enterprise, I thought that that was perfect. I thought he'll he'll be very interesting in that role, and I'll be interested to see him on Heroes because I thought he actually was was kind of good on Enterprise on a show where you know we won't get started on on a show where no one had no one had well written characters. All right, let's let's not dwell on Enterprise okay. too much either. And actually, uh, let me uh, go on to another story about Heroes, uh, that uh, they're actually going on a world tour for the DVD release. Uh, We've already talked about that uh, the DVD will be released at the end of September, or the end of August, actually, um, uh, is when the DVD will come out for the season one. And coinciding with that, they're actually going to take the actors and go on a world tour, where they're going to take almost the entire cast. I mean, looking down the list, it's pretty much almost the entire cast. They're splitting them up into smaller groups and going around the world to promote the DVD release uh, because the show in pretty much every country that it's been released in, it's been number one or number two immediately. And uh, so it's it's been u- almost universally embraced uh, by every country that it's aired in, and they're expecting it to be you know, a huge DVD release ev- everywhere that it's going to go. And uh, so they're going to be having the cast appear, in, and this is all going to happen in the course of like a whirlwind week because the, the actors you know, are leaving the set. They're, they're shooting the show now, so the actors are going to essentially be taking a week and traveling the world and promoting the show and then coming back and have to continue on with making the show again after that week. But within that week, they're going to be splitting up and going to Tokyo, Hong Kong, Singapore, Munich, Paris, London, and New York City, as well as further stops yet to be announced. Yeah, I, I note an irritating lack of either Denver or Portland on the <laughs> list of, of cities. That yeah. <laughs> it's very multicultural, isn't it? When they say world tour, they're not kidding. There's not there's not hardly any U.S. US uh, cities in there. Well, yeah, they had one U.S. city, which is New York City. New York. They'll yeah. probably do L.A. too. Um, it sounded too like they're planning on hopefully maybe getting a little bit of drama out of the tour. They're going to they're gonna film the, the, the travel and, and put it up on NBC's website. And so you'll be able to watch uh, – Watch the actors traveling from place to place, and it sounds like maybe they're hoping for some some travel documentary drama to come out of it as well. I'm sure it'll be on the season two DVD, and it'll be on the website too. Um, so changing uh, to Watchmen, uh, something we're following pretty closely. Uh, this is a casting kind of net that they've put out there, uh, stuff that they sent to casting directors to uh, look for lookalikes to play famous historical characters. Uh, that list includes Richard Nixon, Henry Kissinger, H.R. Haldeman, Ted Koppel, John McLaughlin, Annie Leibowitz, John Lennon and Yoko Ono, Fidel Castro, Albert Einstein, Norman Rockwell, JFK, and Jackie Kennedy, Andy Warhol, Mao Zedong, and Larry King. Wow, so Jefferson, how many of those parts can you do? I think you can do Fidel and... uh... (laughs) Oh, I can do Annie Leibovitz for sure. uh, Oh, nice. 
My Jackie Kennedy's rusty, but I think I can I can get the hat out and do it. Excellent. I'll have to my hair a little no longer problem. for Andy Warhol, right? There you go. Yeah, you do it. I've always seen myself running the show as a little bit of a John McLaughlin kind of character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't recall all of these characters appearing in the in the comic even no, in, in cameo no. parts. And and even when they're used, they'll be in like flashes. It'll be things that are on TV screens kind of in the background. I mean, there won't be featured moments. I mean, some of them will be. Some of, you know, I'm sure the Nixon moments will be Nixon will be features moments, in the story, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they're doing with all of that. I mean, it you know, it's definitely showing that they're placing it where they're placing it. I mean, you know, some of these uh, – I mean, John Lennon and Yoko Ono – well, John Lennon wasn't even alive at the time that the book was, was posited. Now, you know, we could, we're going to be going a little bit into the story here. But, I mean, a lot of these are probably going to be based on the fact that the world has changed because of – you know the characters, the characters in the story being there. You know that that history as we know it is not going to be history as we know it in the film. Right in the in the comic, uh, it takes place in 1985, and Nixon is still president. Just one example of how he uh, he kind of throws in little subtle. You know, he he portrays basically the same world the, the 1986 that he recognized, but he throws in a lot of little subtle differences and changes. What's the reasoning for all these characters being there? You know, how do they fit in? How how has the world changed uh, as a result of the story that's that's being posited in the film? So it's all very interesting. It just was kind of an indication of where they're going, and and the fact that it's an actual casting notice. You know, because I know that you know, even as as late as a couple of weeks ago, you know, uh, one of you guys, I think it was <laughs> Jonathan, was saying, you know, is this even going to really happen? Are we even really sure that that Watchmen's going to get filmed? And uh, it's a pretty good indication that we're like you know weeks away from from the actual start of shooting. And sorry, guys, I'm still not going to Comic-Con. You might change my mind next week. We'll see. But but as of now, I'm still not going. <laughs> Maybe next year. And speaking of Arnold Schwarzenegger properties, uh, another one that he had been considered for for a long time inexplicably was Sergeant Rock. Um, all, all the previous screenplays for Sergeant Rock, as I understand it, have had had to incorporate in them uh, some way of explaining why he had Schwarzenegger's accent, why, why an American military soldier in World War II would have Schwarzenegger's accent. Um, well, we we reported a couple weeks ago that that Sergeant Rock was moving forward again and. That a new screenplay had been commissioned. That screenplay has actually been turned in. The the writer of that uh, announced that on his website that he turned in the first draft of the script, and he uh, made it a point to say that you know he did not have to uh, include in it any reference to an unusual accent. So so Schwarzenegger is no longer on the table for Sergeant Rock. I just think it's so funny that that Schwarzenegger was was so married to this this project. I mean, it, Sergeant Rock, if you if you read the comics, isn't necessarily a big muscle man. You know, he's he's drawn like most male characters. Characters are in comics, but he's no Conan. You know, he, he didn't necessarily need to be played by by somebody with a, a, a developed physique. They just, I think, it just at some point, somebody said, "Hey, we should get Arnold for this," and Arnold was interested, and it just spiraled out of control from there. Yeah, it is a Joel Silver project, and Joel Silver is kind of the king of the big budget action producers and i'm sure it was just a matter of him putting together the package of saying you know how how can i you know make sergeant rock you know something that will sell the first weekend and that was arnold schwarzenegger at the time yeah 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 Yeah, exactly at the time 15 20 years ago when this first kind of started you know that that was the way to open up a picture was to have you know it was either going to be probably him or bruce willis because they were the only two people who could open up an action picture 
And now I think maybe some, hopefully something else that we can thank 300 for is, is 300 kind of showed that you can have a big opening without any big name actors in it. You don't necessarily need a major movie star. And also to, showed to that just about any movie. male actor in Hollywood could be made to look big and buff and oiled. Yeah, that too. That too. If they can make uh, uh, David Wenham look buff, then they can do it to anybody. Um, so yeah, I think that, I think that in the long term that could be really great because you'll maybe you'll see film producers focusing a little bit more on content and a little bit less on attaching major stars to at least at least in the in the realm of of comic book and superhero films. I think they're kind of starting to see that it's not. We're not interested in, in Tom Cruise in Iron Man's armor. We're interested in Iron Man, the character. And we don't really care that much who plays him as long as it's somebody who can make us believe it's Iron Man. That's just an example. But Well, I think that's still kind of a niche market, though. I mean, for us, I mean, like me, I've never read Sergeant Rock. And so in order for me to go and see this movie, I would probably need some sort of name recognition to go to it. And not necessarily alone, you know. I think the other thing that 300 proved is that marketing makes all the difference. I mean, I think I, I do firmly believe that one of the reasons why 300 had such a huge opening weekend with no stars is because they advertised the hell out of it. Oh, and movie. it had an incredible trailer. It, yeah, the trailer. Just it had a great trailer. So, so if, if let's just use Sergeant Rock as an example, if they make a really good Sergeant Rock movie with some great scenes in it, put together a really good trailer, run it on TV nonstop for the two weeks or so leading up to the film, it'll have a big weekend regardless of whether it has a big star in it or not. And you'll go to see it regardless of whether you give a crap about Sergeant Rock or not. I mean, just look back to look back to the example of me and Transformers. I think if you, if you, if you put together an intriguing trailer, I think that's going to, that's going to convince more people than you think. And I think 300 proved that. I mean, I know the character just cause I've, I've seen the comic and I know it's a DC comic, but I, I, you know, I'm so not that interested in war films. Right, yeah, and there's going to be people that aren't. I'm sure there's a lot of people that aren't interested in in swords and sandals films, and none of those people went to see 300. But there's enough people who are just interested in seeing big, exciting, flashy action films, and don't really care so much about the details about whether or not it's a World War II film or a swords and sandals film. That I think it could do well. I don't think it necessarily needs a star. I, I, I'm definitely relieved that it's not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Here's a kind of interesting side tangent to something you were just saying there in terms of talking about the the name or the face recognition of a, of a big-name actor that you have to have that to to make it. We, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about kind of one of my pet peeves, which is a kind of historical thing in superhero live-action films where you always have to get the character out of their mask. For, you know, If it's a character who wears a mask, you always have to spend you know so much of the film with them out of the mask to the point of even having them have the mask on and then have it torn off and then them have the final battle scene without their mask. And it happened in Spider-Man 3 recently, you know, where he had all of the characters all of a sudden without their masks for the entire last scene, you know, for no other apparent reason other than, you know, you're paying 15, 20 million to Tobey Maguire. You want to see Tobey Maguire, you know, you don't you don't want to be paying to have him in the film and not see his face. Well, <laughs> we were also were talking a couple of weeks ago about Stan Lee's uh, direct to video films that his company's been producing. And I actually watched one of them uh, like about a week ago or two weeks ago. It was The Condor. It was an animated film. So this was uh, an animated superhero where it had the voice of Wilmer Valderrama from uh, that 70s show as the lead character in it. For the final – the character, the Condor, he wears essentially a bicycle helmet. He's a skateboarder who gains powers and, and then you know goes around on like a very high-powered – 
you know, a skateboard and wears a full body suit and wears what is basically a motorcycle helmet. For the final battle scene, they have him out of the helmet. We're talking about an animated character. <laughs> <laughs> was he drawn to look like Wilmer Valderrama? No, at least? no. He, he wasn't even drawn to look like a Vil- Wilmer Valderrama. Now, the only thing I can think of that is the, the the makers of that film were so used to that being what you do in a superhero film that that you know you have the superhero out of their mask for the final scene that they just went ahead and did that in an animated film. And I just, I, I was watching it, and I just couldn't believe it. it. It bugs me so much in a live action film, but I just couldn't understand, you know. You just drew him without the helmet. I mean, it's still no more Wilmer Valderrama than it was when he wore the helmet. Right, and and even given that, who gives a crap? It's Wilmer Valderrama. If he's the biggest star attached to the story, and that kind of, I mean, getting back to live action superhero, um, that kind of reinforces my point that it, I think we as fans, you know, we as people who want these movies to be good are much better off without big stars as the main characters because then they, that you see the character on screen and your, your filmmakers are less likely to want to have, have the, the, the main character fight without his mask for half the movie be, if they don't have a big name actor, you know, uh, Batman begins being a great example of that, you know, uh, uh, Christian Bale. Most people don't know who he right. is. Yeah, so. definitely people didn't know who he. Yeah. I mean, he was. He had done a lot of films. He was recognizable, but he was not a big star. Brandon. He's not a big star. He's not a Brad Pitt, right? No, he's not. And an I think name. Yeah, even like the the seventy Superman films and Superman Returns both did the same thing, where they they kind of got to have it both ways. They cast an unknown as the lead, but then they cast somebody well known as the villain, and so you still get your big star, and and you can rewrite the villain to the the big star strengths and yet you still get the hero is it's not christopher reeve it's superman that you're seeing on screen at least in the first one before anybody knew who christopher reeve was and then even more so in the, in the new one with uh, brandon routh you know you're he's playing the character and you're not too terribly concerned about whether he's a big name star or not but then you still get your star power with the the supporting characters well, the interesting twist on that is going to be to see what's going to happen with Watchmen because as far as – you know, none of the cast has been announced. But as far as the rumors of who you know has been cast or who is who the offers have been made to, none of them are recognizable big names. Yeah, I don't uh, see how they could do the Watchmen with recognizable yeah. names. The cast is too large. There's but, too but many the characters. But the thing with that is that the other ones that you mentioned where they went with unknowns were all things where people knew the character to begin with. Where Batman and Superman, Spider-Man, everyone knows those characters. Those are pre-sold properties. You know, you don't have to tell someone who Batman is. So if you use an unknown in it, yeah, they're getting to see Batman. With Watchmen, the majority of the public has no clue about any of those characters. Well, and I think the majority of the public, though, didn't know who any of the characters in 300 were either. You know, most of the people didn't know about that battle or or knew who Leonidas was. Um, And I think Watchmen is going to have a lot more in common with 300 than it's going to have in common with Spider-Man or Batman Begins. I'd be perfectly happy with that. that Yeah, I would too. You know, as as we talked about when 300 came out, the the only reason I didn't like the movie is because I didn't like the book it was based on. But I, I loved his his devotion to the source material. And I think if he shows half of that devotion to the source material doing Watchmen, he'll make a fantastic movie. So I think uh, um, that it definitely is a good sign. And, and the, like the, the rumblings that we're hearing as far as casting goes, the, the rumblings that seem feasible, he isn't looking for big names. He's looking for competent actors instead. And I don't think it'll matter that 
that nobody knows what the Watchmen is. I think it'll be. I'm going to use the 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 dreaded phrase visually interesting enough. That, <laughs> and I think you know once he's got the film shot, and if it looks like the book does, which it will. I mean, look at 300. Look how close to the book it was. Once you start seeing clips of 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 stuff of live action material that looks like the Watchmen book looks. Put that together in a trailer, and it's going to look fantastic, and it's going to intrigue people, and it's going to make them want to go see the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's part of your sell, definitely, is if you don't have the big-name actor, hopefully you've got a really good trailer. And yeah. you've got, like you said, good source material to start with in the first place. Mm-hmm. That that Those are kind of your trade-offs, I think. So if you've got a really good story and a big-name actor, sometimes a big-name actor can – overshadow the story yeah, where it's to the point it. where you don't yeah. believe you know that uh, yeah george clooney is batman because you keep seeing george clooney instead uh-huh. of bruce wayne exactly that's why i was i was cringing when it, when uh, they were talking about tom cruise for iron man for a while and that was the same thing you don't need tom cruise to be iron man because people go see iron man you know they'll they'll they, you i think the character is famous enough that you don't need a, a famous actor to play him Although I think Robert Downey Jr. is a very good choice for Iron Man. I think he's a great choice for Iron Man. And, you know, he's people know who he is, but at the same time, he's not a, he's not so overpowering as no. a Tom Cruise or an Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he's know, not a big not, budget action film star. Yeah, he's, he's not a – yeah, exactly. He's going to – I think he's going to play the character well. So that's a good segue to when we're going to get to see some of this stuff for the first time and when a lot of these things that we're talking about are going to get announced, which is at Comic-Con. They do – they have announced the schedule, and uh, when we do our show two weeks from now – We'll go ahead and we'll, we'll go through the schedule and we'll talk about that. But uh, there'll, there'll be a lot of exciting announcements. And, and we, now, we now know, you know, what films are going to get announcements and, uh, because they put them on the list of, you know, what scheduled panels and what actors and directors are going to be there. So uh, that'll, that'll be exciting and we'll talk about that next show. So uh, that's it for our news uh, this time. But uh, keep checking it out at SuperheroCinema.com every day. Now let's get on the rumor treadmill where stories hop on and off pretty quickly. So we don't have much for rumors uh, this time around. Uh, there's not a lot, just two at the moment. Uh, one of them is something we were just talking about, which is Watchmen casting rumors, and that's <laughs> going to be a focus until Comic-Con. Uh, uh, we had talked a couple weeks ago about uh, Jason Patrick had been a possible for Watchmen. Uh, we, I haven't heard that he turned it down or that it ever even happened, but the current rumor is that it's been offered to Billy Crudup from uh, Almost Famous, uh, that he would be playing Dr. Manhattan. And I think he'd actually be as good a choice as I thought Jason Patrick was for the same reason. I think they're both kind of stoic, stony faces that uh, can bring the kind of sereneness, or not sereneness, serenity to the character of uh, Dr. Manhattan that it requires. You know what I'd like to find out? I'm going to have to go back through interviews with Snyder. I wonder who he considers the main character of Watchmen to be. You know, who, does, who, does, who does Zack Snyder think is the most important character to cast in the film? That'd be an That's interesting true, question lots to find of, an yeah. answer to. There's lots yeah, of leading characters there. Sure, exactly. There's a lot of – and I think probably maybe every fan of the book may have their own idea of who the main character is. Yeah, because just right off the bat, as, as you said that, I try to think and you know, I could easily equally see Night Owl and – uh, Rorschach as as main characters. Although I I still see Rorschach probably more as a catalyst in other people's things, but he does carry the story through, though. Yeah, I see Rorschach and Night Owl more as main characters than I see Doctor Manhattan. I don't see him as much of a. Well, he also is a catalyst in other people's events. Well, they, and they, in a way, they all are really. But I, I mean, I can't narrow. I can narrow it down to four. I can narrow <laughs> it down to Rorschach, Night Owl, uh, Doctor Manhattan, and and uh, Basavandius. Yeah, yeah, Adrian Vate. I can't narrow it down 
further from those four. They're, those are the four that make the story go. Oh, speaking of which, I didn't cover it in the in the stories because it's because it is something that's on the rumor level. What did you think about the supposed viral marketing site that that was created that was uh for Beat Industries? Yeah, Jonathan uh, and I talked about that a yeah. little bit. Uh, Jonathan, uh, you you said you were pretty convinced that it's overzealous fans. I think so because I had read something about how uh, they're looking at the domain names. Um, and who owns those domain names? And I think uh, for the two websites, uh, one that I saw uh, called RorschachJournal.com, and uh, the one that you had pointed out to me, Jefferson, uh, what was that one again? The vape, VapeMethod.com, I think it was called. Right, Which right. And I think that they're uh, – uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's his Adrian Veet's uh, bodybuilding and uh, all health and wellness type stuff that uh, uh, sure. he's got going on. And I think for both of those websites, yeah, I think it's just overzealous fans trying to uh, be a part of the viral marketing for for Watchmen because they're both owned by uh, the one ring dot net, which is right, you know, which Lord is a of the major Rings. fan site. Exactly. Yeah, the, the two dead giveaways for me are um, both – well, the Rorschach journal. I mean yes, in the story he keeps a journal. But Zack Snyder stated from the outset that his Watchmen was not going to be updated. It was going to take place in 1985. There's no internet in 1985. Rorschach doesn't keep an online journal. He keeps a handwritten journal. So there's your clue there. There would be no reason for Rorschach to have an online journal. So it wouldn't be something that they would consider part of the story or, or really maybe even effective marketing for the, the film. And then the same thing with the the uh, the Vate website the all the graphics and stuff was way too 21st century it wasn't retro enough to make me think that that's going to tie in with the film in any way i think they were both nifty sites i think they were cute but but i don't i just don't see them having anything actually to do with the film yeah i think it's all way too early to be doing any sort of viral marketing like that That even the batman stuff didn't start until i mean batman's due out next summer right yeah and it didn't start until the film actually was in production Right, and Watchmen's not in production yet. I'm, I'm assuming Watchmen's not due until the till uh, 2009. Yeah, I actually hadn't heard. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they. Yeah, we I'm going to have a better idea of that after Comic Con. Yeah, I'm going to assume 2009 for Watchmen. So yeah, it's way too early to be be doing that kind of thing. But that's just the kind of stuff that that halfway competent fans would do. And I thought they were neat. So I'm, I'm not. Yeah, they're cute. I mean, it gets kind of the word out, you know. Yeah, sure. So the other thing that's, uh, that I've seen as far as a story, and this one's gone back and forth. I think we actually covered it in the news at least once. Uh, it keeps going back and forth that the Superman Returns sequel, the next Superman film, may or may not be held back uh, based on Brian Singer's schedule. I mean, we know it won't be until after he finishes his next film, Valkyrie, that he's about to start shooting uh, in Germany with uh, Tom Cruise like any week now. Um, but the rumor had the rumor had come out that he had another project after that, the mayor of Castro Street, that he would want to do immediately after Valkyrie, and that that would push Superman back to 2010 at this point. That's there's not been a confirmation one way or the other. It depends on which interview you read between Brian Singer, Brian Singer's quote unquote people, the producers of the film, or the studio. The, there's there's no announcement as a definitive thing, and then there probably won't be until after he finishes those films. Yeah, if I mean the the. I, Stuff I've read since uh, has said that the the mayor of Castro Street thing is, if he's going to do it at all, it's going to be after Superman. Um, he has, besides these films, um, he has one other film listed on the Internet Movie Database as being in production. I forget the title. So if the Internet Movie Database is to be believed, he's actually got three films before he starts on Superman Returns. Um, I 
don't find the in-production information on the Internet Movie Database to be yeah. particularly yeah, accurate. The, so. the operative phrase there are, if you're to believe the Internet Movie Database. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, but the uh, the interview I did read with his, quote, people, they seem pretty, pretty uh, vocal that he was going to do Superman as soon as he was done with Valkyrie. Now, the thing that was much more troubling to me was the fact that they also – hinted at or said that uh, Kevin Spacey would be returning as Lex Luthor. Now, if you know my rant from a couple of weeks ago, how opposed I would be to that idea. Yeah, we don't need the same villain over and over again. And Superman's the only series that feels the need to do that, too. It's kind of weird. They don't seem to feel that you can have a Superman film without Lex Luthor, and I just don't get that. There's there's a whole gamut of of villains that he's encountered in the last 70 years. I think it'd be fun if they maybe moved him back to a supporting role. Because I mean, the two two obvious possible villains for a sequel would be Metallo or Bizarro, and and in both in the backstory for both of those characters, Lucas is involved, or uh, Lucas Luther, <laughs> the other evil genius, Lucas Luther, he's involved with the creation of both of those characters. So I could see him being part of the story if it was going to be one of those two characters. But I certainly don't want it to be only Luther. I, I want to see somebody else. Yeah, I mean, why would he go see the same movie again, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it for our rumors this week, uh, but we'll keep wasting our time following them so you don't have to. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, If you haven't already, click on the subscribe link on our website to subscribe to the podcast or find us on iTunes by searching for Superhero Cinema. If you are subscribed on iTunes and you like the show, uh, please help promote it by writing a review. It helps the show grow by getting us up on the front page of iTunes. If you have any news stories, suggestions for what you want us to talk about, or any comments on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at superherocinema.com or leave us a voicemail at uh, 303-800-HERO. That's 303-800-4376. Yeah, even though that's a uh, regular number there, not an, eight, not an 800 number, technically. But uh, yeah, feel free to call that, and uh, we appreciate you know any comments and suggestions you guys have. Yep, we'd love to play them on the show. So thank you, Jefferson and Jonathan. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, Michael. And thank you again to our listeners for continuing to join us. We hope you keep showing up for Superhero Cinema. We're saving the world one fan at a time. Boy, I, when I get on off, off on a rant, I really go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it should be called News and Rants, perhaps. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you can get me wound up and going, I'll fill the whole hour. <laughs> Make a list of buttons to push for Jefferson. Right, yeah. Let you go. Ha, 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 ha.